0: We want to find how do we have an unshakable faith even when death hits, right? And and it's not just um, it's not just you know your own personal death. Which we're going to talk today about how do we have that kind of faith for facing our own death, because most people, that's one of their major fears, is their own death, and so, uh, and and it's coming, Like all of us have to realize that, so we don't have to live with fear, that's one of the great things about scripture, is it helps us to not live with fear in this, but also, death in others, and I think one of, there's two reasons why I think people really are afraid of death, and the first one has to do with pain, right, um, Death is a painful thing, not always like sometimes for the person who's passing, but always for the people who are left behind. And so in our life, the more we've experienced the passing of other people, the more we've had that negative kind of that it's, it's a painful thing, the more we naturally want to avoid it, right? It's, it's, and, and that's part of, of our life. And God gives us some hope, and we're going to talk about that today. How do we find that there is actually purpose in this? And there's actually a promise in there that, that leads to, to great power and we're going to be hitting that today. Also, it's a, it's a mystery. And as people, not only do we tend to try to go away from things that hurt, but also we tend to avoid things that we don't understand, right? There's this ignorance that we have of death. Not that it's willful ignorance that we're just stupid or bad people, but it's a dark veil. And the scripture even talks about the valley of the shadow of death. It's like this this other side, this this dark veil, and it's a mystery to us. What's there on the other side? And because There is this mystery to it. A lot of times it breeds fear. But I'll tell you what, we do know what's on the other side because one of the great things about our faith is not based upon hearsay. and It's not based upon some type of philosophy. We talked about at the beginning, unshakable faith is founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that means that our Lord and Savior crossed that veil and came back. And so he can speak with some authority to us and to give us, when he says that there's reason for hope, we have good reason for that. And we'll be talking about that today. Now, uh, it's interesting in our culture, though, that uh, death is such an uncomfortable thing. When I said that, we'd talk about death. I'll, some of you laughed because it was awkward. But then also others were like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I wish we had slept in today, right? Because it's one of those uncomfortable things. And, and it's strange because our culture is a very violent culture, isn't it? We, we, like from our movies to all kinds of other media and things like this, even lots of songs and things out there, our culture is a very, very violent culture. And we're drawn to that, but we're also isolated from death. I do many funerals, and it's it's astonishing to me how many people are attending their first funeral as an adult. And they were never they they have never seen how to handle process death. They never watched their parents really process death, or their grandparents, or their aunts, or their uncles, or other people. And so here they are as adults, and they have this amazing this 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 huge thing that they're trying to face, and they have no idea what to do with it. And I think as a culture, we really do as much as we can. We embrace the violence, but then we, we isolate ourselves from death. And so it becomes even more this, this mystery. And we're going to demystify it a little bit this morning. So you can walk out today with greater peace and with greater confidence and with greater hope. And that's one of the reasons that we, then we can stand on an unshakable faith. And uh, And so... What we're going to do is we're going to have our, start with our memory verse today, which really speaks to this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is really talking about our hope that we have when we die. And this is a great passage. And so he writes there, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now he's talking about falling asleep in him. He's not talking that they're tired at church. They died. Okay. The euphemism, even in the Bible, people had a hard time talking about death. So we had a lot of euphemisms about falling asleep. He died. So even those of us who have died in Christ are not fully dead and will rise again. And what a great hope we have. This becomes a foundation for us. Now, think about what you just said. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Isn't that the very foundation? And it's not just that we have this, this willy nilly hope that Jesus died and rose again. You can't explain history unless Jesus died and rose again. That is a settled fact of history. And if that happened, now we have confidence that Jesus will bring with him. Now think about this those of our dearly departed are not alone. Where are they? With Jesus. Isn't that one of the fears that we have in death, that I'm going to face this alone? That there's going to be this time, this, 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 this time I'm going to be separated, I don't know, I'm going to be all alone? We have to worry about that with Jesus. And then the second thing that we had about death, there is a separation. To say goodbye is hard. To have that, that hole, that loss, this person that, that was so close to me, there is this, this emptiness, this void, but it will be rectified that Christ will bring them back. What a great hope you just memorized. And so I would encourage you this week to take some time and really think about that. Because all of us have had to say goodbye to somebody. All of us. And I want you to think about as you memorize this and think about what does that mean, not just for them, but also for you. And the hope and the joy that that brings us. All right, so since we've memorized some of 1 Thessalonians, let's get into our Bible. And let's read some there. Turn your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4. That's going to be on page 825 if you have one of our Bibles. If you forgot a Bible or whatever and you just need one, we have a bunch of them in the back. There's a little bookshelf there by the sound booth. You pick one up. If you need a Bible or our newer version or whatever, feel free to, to keep it our gift to you. And in, in your seat front pockets, there's little uh, bookmarks there that are really handy uh, to find in there. All right. So, and those are a gift too if you need them. All right. Now, when uh, we, we read this... Uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul is, is bringing comfort to the church at Thessalonica. Now, the history of this is Paul was, he goes and he plants this church in Thessalonica, and, and uh, things kind of go south real fast. And because of violence, they basically kick Paul out of the city, pretty much leave him for dead. It was dangerous and bad. And so Paul leaves the city earlier than he normally would in his discipleship process. This was not an easy place to be a Christian. And so later on in his journey, Paul really cares about the believers that he planted, that he, he started these churches there, and he's concerned for them, right? He's afraid that they're going to fall into, uh, you know, the, the old patterns. They're going to fall away from the church, especially with the pressure of persecution, which was very real. And, and there were Christians there. If they, if they tried to stone Paul to death, guess what they're going to do to other Christians? It's not going to be an easy place to be a believer. And so he's very concerned for them. So he sends back Timothy. Now Timothy is Paul's right hand man, right? He's he's discipling him, he's raising him up, and he sends him back. And the other reason that he sends Timothy is easier for Timothy to go there, because Timothy isn't Jewish. He's Greek, and so he'd have an easier time going into the city to kind of scope things out and figure out. And so Timothy comes back and brings a great report to Paul. He says, No, the church is there and it's strong actually. It's growing. It's doing great things. And Paul writes this letter to them, one in celebration of of saying, Thanks to God. God has been answering his prayers, right? God had brought other believers in to help draw the church up. And the church was holding strong in the midst of this, but also to comfort them because the persecution this church was facing was real. And death was not an abstract concept for them. It was something that they had faced, really. So so he's talking about this. Chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 13. And it says this, Brothers and sisters, Now, there's uh, pulling back the curtain. What will happen? Do you wonder what will happen to you? Well, you're going to pass, and then you're going to hear an awesome loud trumpet. Or you're not going to pass, and you're going to hear an awesome loud trumpet. In either case, you're going to be together with the Lord. And how long? Forever. Now, that's a really nice thing, because death kind of ends forever, but not for the believer. Like Jesus said that, uh, that uh, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Part of the thing of death is we think that it's an end, but it is not. But there's some things that I want to cover in this, thing, in this passage that we find that are really helpful for us. The first thing I want to talk about in this, before I get into the major points, is that it's okay for Christians to grieve. Sometimes as Christians go through this passage, we say that we don't want to grieve like those who have no hope. Right? That's what it says in there. And they read that it says we should not grieve. That's not what it says. It says we're not to so grieve like those who have no hope. I mean, even Jesus wept, right? There is a right way of grieving, but there's a different way that the Christian grieves. And, and in a non-believer's funeral, they, they mourn for the person who was lost, right? The deceased. But at a Christian funeral, we mourn for those who are still here. We mourn for the, the loss of relationship for the time. There's a different thing entirely. There's a different hope. And so the Christians mourn with hope, with an eye on the head saying, I know that this is painful now, but it will not last forever, and God has redeemed this, this horrible brokenness. This world is not all there is, and we have to cling to that. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, we read, For we know that the, earth, that the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, in in context here, and this is why context is so important, Paul's not talking about building options or how you should live, right? He's talking about the earthly tent is your body. And the eternal house in heaven is your new body. Now, think of how the contrast is. How many of us live in a tent? How many people move to Estes Park and build their dream tent, right? This is not what we do. Right, Tents are great. You're going to go camping. When you go somewhere temporary where you don't expect to stay, you build a tent. It's cheaper. It's easier. It does what it's supposed to do, but it doesn't have all the amenity. Nobody's tents are nicer than their house unless they have a real messed up house or a crazy messed up tent. Right? We think about this. When we, when we buy tents, when we set up tents, they're good. But our homes is where we. Do, that's where we want to be. In fact, if you spend extended amount of time in a tent, you will really begin to long for your home, won't you? <laughs> Have you ever done that? I was doing missions trips, and we would go to uh, in youth, especially. We go to to Mexico, and we would camp out on this dirt field, up, a a parking lot kind of. And and we'd set up tents there and, and some of you had been there and the wind would come and the dirt would get in like everything. It was just right. And, and, and we would stay there for a week and we would live in tents for a week. And, and and at first my tent was nice and young. Every year I'd have to get a new one because this is what would happen is is that the, the, the place where the tent was put just took its it wear and tear on the tent. Right. At first, you know, the, the wind and the dirt would get into things and, and it would, it looked nice and it was awesome and it was strong and all that. But after a while, the winds and the dirt would get in the zippers and the zippers would start to stop working a little bit. So you have to put some duct tape on there. Right. And eventually some of the seams might start to pull apart a little bit. And so you get more duct tape. Right. And then eventually some people's tents just didn't make it for the week. and they're, Right. And then that was that. And so by the end of the year, you know, you just kind of to say, well, that was a good tent. And next year we'll get a new one, and it's not so different for us in our bodies. We show up here, and you know we're young, and you get up to like your twenties, and you have like a good tint, right? Everything looks nice and shiny, and all that kind of stuff. But this world takes its toll on it, and some of us, the older older we're in life, the more we feel like we're being held together with duct tape, right? Now the cool thing was is I knew if we just made it through this time, I would get to go home again. I get to go home. You have a better body waiting you. Not just a better place for that body to live. Not, it's not just like Estes Park was a much better than that flat square of dirt that we had to camp out on. Like where I live is beautiful. And where our heavenly home is far superior environment. But the home itself, the body God has prepared for you, is building for you, is phenomenal. And we think about the contrast that Paul makes here between the two. They're, they're not even on the same plane. They're not even the same. T- I mean, yeah, they're both places that, for you to dwell, right, to, to exist in. But your heavenly body is going to be so much better than this one. This one was meant to be a tent. And God has something much better for us. Now, I'm going to talk about today the four keys that we find in Scripture that help us face death with with an unshakable faith, and the first thing that we have to really do when we face death is this: we got to turn immediately to God. Okay, I find that oftentimes in in our life and, and uh, when death comes, it can be a test of. Of courage or faith? Do I really believe what I've always said I believe? Or do I really believe what the Bible says about death? Do I really believe not just about death, but I really believe what God says about Himself? Because when death comes, it is rude and it is mean. Oftentimes, it'll rip people from us that we love deeply, and the pain is extraordinary. And one of the things that we do in the midst of that is, is when we suffer as people, oftentimes we want to, we want to just isolate, don't we? That's that's what we want to do. We want to, to take our pain and to go somewhere and just go into a fetal position and to, to just you know crawl up and say, I, I can't take any more pain. Plus, we know that God is, is the one who can restore all things. Oftentimes when somebody's taken from us we love, we blame him and say, You hurt me. How dare you do this to me? And we can believe that God, maybe if he hurt us this bad by taking this person, maybe I shouldn't trust him. And we don't oftentimes say these things, although sometimes we do. And it doesn't mean that God walks away from us or anything like this, but I think it goes down to this fundamental wrestling that God has us do to, to realize that how much he deeply loves us and how good he truly is. I'll tell you, though, the fastest and the best way, if you want to recover from death... Right, Either if you're facing your own death, you get a horrible diagnosis, something is happening, or the death of somebody you love is is to turn to God. To be able to go to God and say, you know, um, I don't understand this, this hurts, but I'm going to trust that you're good. And I'm going to trust in your promise that my loved one is taken care of, that you are a just and loving and a good God. And I don't understand any of this, but to turn to him, the quicker we can do that, the quicker we can begin to heal. And I want to show you an awesome verse in scripture that has helped me in a lot of times in in my own life when I've really struggled. And it comes from the book of James, James 4, 8, and it says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Isn't that an awesome promise? There are times in our life where God feels so distant, and death is one of those, isn't it? We feel like maybe God is out there, he's distant, I don't know. I feel like there's this, maybe I've got a grudge against him or maybe I feel like he's not pleased with me in my life or he's, he's done something, there's this distance. But God is not distant. In fact, he's given you the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ, if you are a believer as a, as a seal and a guarantee of your salvation. He's, he says he's never going to leave you nor forsake you in the great commission, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age and that includes today and tomorrow and even when we cross that veil right? He is with us, but he doesn't always feel like he's there. And that's why our faith has got to be so much more than a feeling. But here's a truth that God says, if you come near him, if you make steps towards God and say, God, I don't get this. I need your help. He's not going to be up there saying, well, you were pretty mean to me. You were saying that I was nasty and I've got a bad, because I took this person from you. So I don't feel like coming close to you. God is not like that. You make steps towards God and he comes near you. And I'll tell you, to have that kind of peace that God is with you to walk through these difficult times is the very first, it is the key. right? Some people, you can slowly grieve death without God. And there are pagans who are able to do that. But it is so much easier and better and more healing to be able to come and, and to have God, the God of the universe, the God of life the God of eternal life, to be able to be with you. And I'll tell you this, you have to make the decision to come near him because he's already inclined to be close to you. And so when you face death, and, when you, and all of us in our life are going to face times when people we love pass on, and all of us are going to face our own death. And I'll tell you, in those times, the very first thing that you need to do, if your inclination is to move away from God, remember this, God wants to be with you, walk through this process with you, get close to him. Say to him, "I invite you into this. God, I need your help. I don't understand this. I'm scared. I'm lonely. I'm frustrated. Right? All of those things. Come near to God, and He will come near to you." Charles Spurgeon was um, probably one of the greatest uh, preachers a a couple centuries ago. He was amazing, just just awesome. And, and one time, and I love reading his messages, his sermons, they, they feed my soul. His insight into scripture is one of those things that kind of helps me. He's one of my mentors through books. And I came across a quote a couple of years ago, that, and he was talking on death at this time, and he said this, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. When you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. I love that. How true. Here are times you can't really figure out what God's hand is doing. You can't really trace it. You're like, I know that you're good, but I can't understand how on earth this could possibly be good. But know this, God, he is. He is too, he's too wise to be mistaken. He's not going to mess up. And he's too good to be unkind. He's not being mean. And he will carry you even through this. So trust him that he's good, even when it doesn't feel like it. And go towards him. Now, in uh, Psalm 23, probably the psalm that is read most often at funerals and things like this, there's, there's this amazing thing that, that we find that David, who writes this, who had experienced uh, the death of, of many loved, and he writes this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now think how amazing that is. Uh, he talks about, I love the imagery that he writes. And it's the valley of the shadow. Death is not a fun thing. It's scary, right? It can feel lonely, like you're like trapped. You don't even know where it's going. But is there fear? No. And that's one of the greatest anxieties that we have about death. How about the people that we know that we've loved who have passed on? I think sometimes we're afraid for them. You know, when they cross this, this unknown, right? Well, I haven't seen with my own eyes what it's like. And sometimes we're afraid: are they filled with terror in this? Are they going to be scared? If you are in Christ, I want you to see that there is no fear because God is with you. The moment we close our eyes to this, this life, we are with Christ. There is no gap. There is no separation. God walks us. God walks you. Not just an angel shows up. God is there with you because the Holy Spirit is in you. And he's promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is good to his word. And this is why there's not reason for fear, which gives me great comfort. For I know, like my, my grandparents passed on, or when my some of my friends have passed on. I know that at that moment, they may have been afraid up until that nanosecond, but as soon as they passed from this life they were with Christ, they were with Christ. And there was no fear. And it's going to be that way for me, too. And it will be that way for you if you are in Christ. No fear. That's why we sang a song, today. No, no fear in life, right? no fear in death. Why? Because God is with us, that is a foundation that we have as Christians. We have to hold to. We understand that this is for us gives us the boldness to face death. We do not have to be afraid of it. Because God is with us. Now, the second uh, thing that we would learn today, and this is that we have to give ourselves permission to mourn. Just because God is with us, just because we don't have to have fear about death, doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. And oftentimes Christians say, and I've heard a few times, even there's one example in Scripture where God will tell a believer very specifically to that person, because of your situation, because of your testimony, I don't want you to grieve this loss. This is your testimony. And that is so rare, but it does happen. right? But for most Christians, this is not the way that it is. We are supposed to grieve. Like I said, even Jesus wept. right? There's, there's something to it. It's okay for us to grieve, and to mourn. And and it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that you don't believe that your loved one is with the Lord. It doesn't mean that. It means that you have a separation, and that hurts. And all your dreams about what you're going to do with that person for the rest of this time on this earth, you don't get to have those, and that hurts. There are deaths of of relationship. There's deaths of opportunities. There's deaths of, of visions. There's death of plans, right? All of those things. And it hurts. And it's okay as a Christian to say it hurts. There's uh, David, King David, a man after God's own heart, did all kinds of wonderful things, but he wasn't perfect. And he had this time in his life where he got a little prideful, and then he had an an affair. And uh, he he had an affair with this woman named Bathsheba, and uh, it was even with one of his friend's wife, to make that even worse. And uh, then... He tried to cover it up and it didn't work. And so then he had his friend murdered. I mean, you see how sin kind of spirals downhill. And here's this great godly man. If anyone us think that we are above being able to fall into sin, watch out, right? So here's David and he has this sin and, and God is a God of, 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 of mercy and compassion. God doesn't just kick David off the throne, doesn't say, get out of my sight. I can't believe that you've done these things. Murder, adultery, a big stuff. God doesn't just kick him out. God forgives him because David had a contrite spirit. He said, you know, what I've done is horrible and it's wrong. But there was still a consequence. And I think sometimes of us in our lives we recognize we sin and God will still receive us. But we have caused damage and there will be consequence. And David's consequence was this, that he was going to lose his infant son. That was God's decision. And David prayed and said, God, please, don't, don't take my son and don't take my, my child. From this sin, And he begged God, and God said, this is the consequence. And so David, he fasted, and he prayed, and all that kind of stuff. But the baby was born, and was sick, and didn't get better, and, and then died. And even though it was God's justice that that child died, and for us, it's hard to wrap our hearts around, isn't it? But that child, of course, was with the Lord. He's fine. But David was, was broken. When he saw the consequence of what he had done, it, it struck him deeply. And so he he writes in Psalm one nineteen about this, this experience, in several other places too. And he says this: "I weep with grief." Now, one nineteen, Psalm one nineteen is a huge thing. It talks about why we need the Word of God, and it helps us with these things. But I think it's important for us to recognize, even as we go to the Word, there are times like when David he he faces this. He's like, you know what? He was so broken. He sees what the, the how powerful the Word is, and how it can make us walk in right paths. But even when we get off, and, there's, and, and there is mercy, but there are times when that we just need to weep. And that's okay. You know, there's a, a book that came out a long time ago, uh, in the 60s, from Elise Kubler-Roth, and I think it was 69. and She talks about five stages of grief, and, and it was so... Uh, there was a great study that she had done working with hospice and with lots of dying patients, thousands and thousands of people, and discovered that people go through a process of, of grieving. All people do. And, there's, and, and this is the way, that, about the five stages of grief, hospice and other um, uh, groups use this as we, as we walk through grief, but it's so true. And I think as, as, even if we're believers, to recognize that there is a, there is a wound that is there when there's death, and there's a process that people go through, and you don't get to go around that. You are not that special. Nobody is, okay? And so when you face... But nobody tells us these things. I have got all the way through Bible college, get to the very end of Bible college before anybody told me about this, right? But here's what happens when somebody dies, and and this is how we grieve as people. The very first thing is we face is denial. And denial isn't just that I don't, you know that I, I don't believe that they've died, although there's part of it in our spirit, even though intellectually we know that the person is gone, we can't wrap our head and our heart around it. We expect them, when we call them on the phone, we expect to hear their voice. We expect them to walk in, right, in any moment, right? Even if we know intellectually they're gone, there's something in us that just has a hard time owning the fact that they're not there. And it's a very weird, surreal kind of thing because you think, I, "I am I going crazy?" But I just can't bring myself to really own this. There's a shock to it, and if you are there, don't worry—you're not going crazy. I think death is such a, a, such a wound that it takes a while for us to really begin to own and to begin to heal from. And so, at first, to just say, "Yeah." It's hard to believe that they're even gone. One of the best things that you can do at this stage is to talk about your loved one. That's a huge thing that you can do, because it helps you own those things, but also kind of tell their story, and somehow in that process, it helps us to own the fact that they have that they're not with us anymore. And the next thing that comes up then is after denial, is we go to anger. And the anger, it comes from two different sides. And you think about what anger comes from. And uh, it's first side it comes from is this, this sense of powerlessness. Right? This vulnerability. We as people don't like to be powerless. We couldn't save them. I can't raise anybody from the dead. Right? the medicine didn't work, the accident happened, whatever it was, we're angry because we were powerless, and we, there's nothing we can do about it. Now we begin to own the fact that they're gone, and we don't like it, and there's nothing we can do about it, and it feels weak, and it frustrates us, and there's anger. There's also the anger from the side of pain. Pain makes people mad. You ever hit yourself with a hammer? Bam! You know, you're not like, you know, rabbits and bunny fly. You know, you're not doing that. You're, you're, you're like, oh, right? That's what most people do, and, we hurt, and so we get angry. And sometimes, and that anger doesn't just come out to just like, it just feel. You just feel like this level of rage on the inside. You might be have be short with other people that normally you're very kind to. Right, they're, your temper might just be a little bit shorter. You might get angry at things that normally wouldn't bother you at all. And sometimes, people in this process, they get just so frustrated. The anger, they get frustrated with themselves, and what is wrong with me? nothing wrong with you. The fact is, is that you are powerless in the midst of this, but God has power. That's why we've got to go to him. And it does hurt, but God is bringing healing, and so we have to go to him. But I tell you, the more that we can, the quicker we can get past the anger. But if you deny the fact that you're mad, if you say, I'm, I feel guilty because I'm mad, I'm a bad Christian, or whatever, the anger is, is part of the process. The anger then oftentimes leads to what's next. It's called bargaining. And this is where we try to make these deals with God or with nature or with whatever, right? To say, if, if only, God, I will, I will totally change how I live if you would just bring that person back. Or God, I will just, right? And sometimes we do this in the pre-grief process too when somebody's in hospice and we know that they're dying. Oftentimes we begin the grieving early on. We could be doing the grieving, this, this bargaining thing too, Lord. You know that they're going to say, Lord, I'm gonna, if, if you would just heal them, then I will. I'll go to church every Sunday, even if it's a bad sermon, right? You, you make deals with God. That's what you do. And part of this is us trying to think about anger, get some power back. But the reality is, is we have no, no bargaining chips in this, do we? Right? And so we try to, to, like, work this out in our mind. Is there anything I can do to manipulate this situation? But if somebody's gone, they're gone. And after the bargaining, it, so it leads to Depression. And it's a sense of just like, just this like, well, I can't bargain my way out of it. I don't have the power to change this. It just leads to the sense of like, here's this person I love, and they're gone. Or me, I'm going to be gone from this earth. And this sense of just, and it leads to deep sadness. And this lasts for a long time for some people. And you'll find yourself weeping like for no good reason. You'll be like, you know, watching a TV show and all of a sudden you'll just start crying and it has nothing sad or anything in it. You'll be like, why am I so sad? And there'll be little tiny things that will remind you of the person and normally make you happy. But right now it just makes you sad for the loss. And so we go into this time and that's what we continually think of as, as just traditional grief when somebody's just mourning. Well, see, that doesn't come first. And oftentimes too many funerals happen so quickly we're not even close to being there. And so people go to the funeral, and they're like, well, I don't understand. They try to work themselves up to feeling this type of grief, and they feel bad that they're not there. Well, they haven't gotten there yet. It's usually it takes a while. And you get to this point, and sometimes people think there's something horribly broken in them. Why am I so sad? I know they're with the Lord. Why am I so sad? Because there's, a, there's an open wound. But, you know, as we work through this, if we don't try to stuff this down, sometimes people try to stuff it down. It's like, I'm not going to cry about this anymore. I'm not going to be sad about this anymore. And we stuff those emotions down, and it just leads to other kinds of, of other problems elsewhere, right? But if we can grieve the loss and say, you know what, this is hard, and it does hurt, and I'm very sad. Then we get to the last part, which is acceptance. And acceptance is that amazing place. It's not, it's not just defeat. Acceptance is when we say, it happened, I can't change it, and not, it's not like I'm totally okay with it, but I'll be okay. Acceptance is the time we get to remember all those good memories that don't make us feel bad anymore, they make us feel good. Acceptance is the time when we get to finally say, you know, this person's gone, I can't make reconciliation with them anymore, but I'm going to hand that to God. It's when the pain is separated from the memory. It's when we get to move on in a much, in a much better way. This is a process. And all of us, when we face death, go through this. If you try to stop yourself on this, the process takes longer. If you try to squelch it, it's even worse, right? So recognize, and you go through these things, and as a church, we need to support one another in these things. Oftentimes, as Christians, we get very uncomfortable with somebody who is mad. Right? Don't be mad. They're in heaven. You'll be fine. They say, you know, it's hard to be, it is hard to sit with somebody who is is hurting, or when they bargain, not to say, well, how dare you try to think you can bargain with God? He, he knows what's best, right? Or when they're they're crying, oftentimes we are very uncomfortable when people cry. But you know what? They're uncomfortable. That's why they're crying. And as a loving brother or sister in Christ, just sit with them. Just be there with them. As a church, to recognize that we help each other through this. And then we get to the other side. We have to give ourselves permission to mourn, and here is a place that you have that. That's why a church family is so important. The next thing that we need to do as our third thing is to receive support from others, right? Grief is a battle, isn't it? It's, it's a fight. When you go and you're grieving, it is exhausting. Talk to somebody who's been grieving, and it's not just a, a three-week thing. It's not even a three-month thing. It's not, it's not even just something that we grieve and people are done like after the first year, and much as I thought it would be. You go over the first year of all these crazy firsts, you know, first birthday without them, first whatever, first Christmas, whatever, and you think that's going to be hard. The second year also for a lot of people is very difficult. Surprisingly so. It is, it is a long-term thing. It takes a while. And it's exhausting. And it takes a lot of energy. And so you need to have support of other people. Now, I'm going to share a little story with you. There's a guy named Moses in the Old Testament. He's kind of a big deal. And Moses frees his people from Egypt, and, they, and God takes him out of Egypt and, and destroys the Egyptian army. I mean, just destroys it in the Red Sea, which is fascinating, that God should show that he can do whatever he wants to do. Then gets Moses the law, right, all this kind of stuff, and then he takes them, he's going to take them out to the promised land, and then the people are like, no, nah, we can't handle it, and so God's like, fine, you get a 40-year time out, tall, you are old enough, or dead, and your kids will go into the promised land. So, so then they go on this 40-year journey, walking around the desert, and God's always still providing, and all that kind of stuff, right, and in that time, there was nations around them in the sinai peninsula who didn't particularly like the fact that moses was there walking around with a big pillar of fire in front of him that god was there and they got intimidated and they said we're going to put an end to this dude and so they got a coalition together and they brought all their chariots and all that maybe they didn't hear what god did in egypt i don't know but they had this coalition they're going to go down and they're going to beat they're going to beat moses they're going to destroy him right and so moses like what do i want to do And God's like, here, you need to see, your people need to see that I'm the one that brings victory. The power comes from me, and you are representative. So this is what I want you to do. You're going to take Joshua. He's going to go down there and lead the fighting. And Joshua's like, great, right? But he says, Moses, what you're going to do is you're going to go on that hill, and you're going to pray. And as long as your arms are in the air, and it's very obvious that you're praying, right, that the power is coming from me, then you will win. But if you let your arms go down, and it looks like you're standing on your own power, and it looks like you're the one that's bringing the victory, because people will look to you then, not me, as soon as you let your arms down, then you're going to start losing. It's going to be pretty obvious. So Moses' up there, he's praying, ah, da, da, and Joshua's doing great, and, blah, 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 and they're fighting, and they're winning, right? But keep your arms up for an hour. Try that someday. And this is a long battle. And Moses is standing there, and, he, and it's, a, it's a hard battle. And his arms start getting tired, and they start going numb. He's like this. What does he do? He can't do it on his own. Perhaps that was what God was trying to tell him. And so we read reading in Exodus 17 where that story is. It said when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it. And Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. He couldn't do it on his own. There are a lot of battles in our life that you can't do on your own. One, you're not going to get through grief on your own. For those who aren't in Christ, they don't grieve with hope. There isn't that wonderful healing on the other side, that blessed assurance that we're going to see our loved ones again. They don't have that luxury. You have that. You're not going to win this battle on your own. But I think there's another thing is that you need support. Christians who try to isolate and say, I'm just going to grieve by myself, have a very, very hard time. That's why we need a church. That's why you need a life group, by the way. Because in a church, we know each other, but in a life group, you get to really know each other. Those are the people that you have in enough that you're willing to say, yeah, you can hold my hand. You need that. In Galatians 6, 2, you carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. There's an application for you. Think about what he says there. What's the law of Christ? Well, we just read about it in 1 John when we were in there a couple weeks ago. He says, this is the new command I give you. Love one another. You want to love one another? Carry each other's burdens. What heavier burden is this than to walk with somebody while they grieve? But that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. This is what Jesus wants us to do. This is how he wants us to help each other. Not to say, oh, well, go find a counselor and get your stuff together, and then you can come back. He says, carry each other's burdens. Hold each other up. That's what we do which means that you're going to have to receive support. Okay? So there's two sides to this. The first one is the church has got to be there to give support. Right? As Christians, we have to get past ourselves. It's not about you sometimes. Sometimes we just have to go and carry somebody else's burden. It's going to be uncomfortable. That's kind of the point. That's why nobody else does it. But we love them because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. We love them because Jesus tells us to, because he loves us. So here's a couple tips about giving support to somebody who's grieving. First one, don't feel like you have to have the answers because you don't. God does, and he hasn't told us everything. He just told us trust him in a lot of things. He says they're fine. Oftentimes when we are Christians, we we feel like I've got to go up and tell them something that will take their pain away. There's nothing you can tell them that will take their pain away. the, The person that they love has passed on, right? Or they themselves have received a horrible diagnosis, and they themselves soon will pass on, and they have to grieve. Give them permission to go through that process. You don't have to make them feel better. Sit with them while they feel lousy. Right, And so if you don't have something of encouragement, don't say something. Sometimes we say the most heartless, mean things to people who are grieving, unintentionally, to make ourselves feel better. Just be there. Sometimes you say, and certainly don't say, I know what you're going through, unless you absolutely know what they're going through. But you can say this, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that I care for you, and I'm going to be here for you. Sometimes it's just sitting there and letting him weep. Sometimes, as as Christians too, we don't want to talk about the loved ones we think it's going to make them hurt. Well, here's a newsflash. They know that their loved one's dead. You're not going to like, what? My loved one's dead again? You're not going to pull off that Band-Aid. They know that. That's why they're grieving. Talk about their loved one. Ask them about them. Let them know, validate the fact that here's a person that was loved. Let them tell the stories. Listen to them. And when they cry, don't just tell them to stop crying and hand them some Kleenex and say, you're done. Be uncomfortable, and it's okay to be uncomfortable with somebody else who's hurting. Be there when they're, when they're raging and they're going through the anger, right? Let them not be alone. That's what a church needs to do. So the church has to fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be a safe place, and that's why I said life groups are the best place to be able to form those relationships. So when you face this, you have people around you who know you well enough that you will allow to sit next to you. The second thing, though, is you have to receive help the church can be the very best at doing this, and you're like, no, I'm going to do this alone because I'm embarrassed that I'm crying, I'm embarrassed that I'm angry, I'm embarrassed by this, then you won't have the support. You're not allowing us to fulfill the law of Christ. You have to receive that, and that takes humility. And I would say, of the two, the hardest of the two is to receive help. It definitely is, but you need it, and that's why it's there. And then you will then, the gospel says, will have the opportunity to help others who are grieving just like you were. It's it's the way that we disciple and it's the way that we live. The fourth thing that we do is this use the opportunity to share Jesus. We don't grieve like those who don't have hope. The reality is even though it hurts, there is hope, isn't there? We know that those of us that we believe that Jesus died and raised again. And so we believe that that Jesus is going to bring those who have fallen asleep in him. Right? Isn't that awesome? That they're not gone. They don't disappear. The relationship is not dead. It's on pause for a while. There is hope that we have. Use this as an opportunity to share your faith in the Lord. Oftentimes, people are not so interested in how well you, you succeed in life, but they want to see how do you handle the difficult things in life because that really reveals where your faith is that impacts us in a deep and a profound way. Now I'll say this, is Philippians 121, the word says, for to, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To understand, like Paul, he had a lot of his friends and associates people that he cared about. People he baptized were executed because he baptized them, right? Because he brought them to faith, right? There was a lot of death that this man saw in his life because of the resistance that people had against the gospel. And he had also just because it was just part of life. We all face death. At some point in his life, he recognized that, you know, really for him, and he recognized for all of us, when we die, we get rid of this old ratty tent. And the older we are, the more ratty it becomes, right? But we're going back to a really nice house. I'm not afraid of dying, but I am also not suicidal. If I'm here, if God has me tented here, he's got work for me to do here. So to, to die is gain. Okay, that's fine. No fear. But if I'm here, then to live is Christ. What does that mean? It means that I am on purpose. I'm on mission. There is a task that God has for me today, all of us, to the moment we draw our last breath. And you may not know exactly what God is doing through you, but I'll tell you, is while you are here and you're his child, he is building his kingdom in you. He is building his kingdom through you. and He has not abandoned you. He's not going to leave you here any longer than he needs to because he's going to bring you home once it's done. But if you're here, there's something we're going to do to live as Christ. It means i get to lay my life down for other people it means i get to help build his kingdom it means i live for purpose see life has purpose because death has promise do you get that if i didn't have the promise of life after death then i would live in a much different way in fact even paul said if we don't have a raise from the dead let's all just eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die But because Jesus raised from the dead, because we live forever, because there's this great reunion that is coming before us, because God is working in us and through us, because there's a promise, today has purpose. It does, today. And you know what our purpose is right now? God has told us, not in any un-mystery, like mystical terms, he told us exactly, exactly what he tells us to do. He says, go to all people. Right, preach the good news Right, tell them about who Christ is baptize them name the Father and Holy Spirit and then teach them to obey everything he's commanded how many people live in this community that still have no idea who Christ is who have no hope when they face death there is only fear and separation and judgment there is a mission for you today and we have that mission because we have promise God's taking care of you it's okay And because of that, he can use you. We have purpose, which means that it's not just going and evangelizing other people, but it's also loving the people in our life, which is sometimes way harder, isn't it? You have purpose. Forgive. You can forgive. Because we know what Christ has done for us, because we have the promise of forgiveness and which leads to eternal life, you have the power to forgive. Serve, even when it's not comfortable. Christ has served you, hasn't he? He, he left heaven to go and to serve, and he said he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He showed the apostles on the last meal, right? He, he washed feet, and he said, I've done this. You do also. Likewise, you have the power to serve because you've been served greatly, and it matters. You see, our life is totally different as Christians because we know what's coming next. We don't have to wait till the hereafter to be able to, to start experiencing the disciple life, the kingdom building that God has a purpose that he has for us. Use the opportunity. Even in death, God can bring life. Can't he? 1 Corinthians, we, we do this all the time on Easter, right? Should be more in, in the funerals too. What the, what's written here? Oh, where oh death is your victory? Where oh death is your sting. He's like taunting death itself. I love that. That's got some like. Pfft. And then he answers himself because he's like, you know what? Death does have a sting. But what is the sting of death? It's sin, isn't it? Isn't it when people die the worst thing is the stuff that was undone, how the regrets that they have, right? The death that separates them from God and brings them fear. Isn't that the sting in death? Isn't that what brought death to begin with was sin? And what's the power of sin? Well, it's the law. It's the fact that we have a holy and righteous and a good God, and there's a standard we've fallen short of, which is what makes sin, sin. Which leads to death. Isn't it amazing where it says, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for sins, paid the penalty And I know a lot of us have been walking with the Lord a long time, and we've heard that a trillion times. We can hear it again. Your sins have been paid for. He paid for the sins of all people, right? It means everybody has the possibility of forgiveness. Everybody, no matter how bad or wicked they are, Jesus' death was enough for them. By paying the penalty, he has fulfilled the law. And if the law no longer is something that we can be condemned by, sin itself no longer has its power over us. And if sin doesn't have power over us, then death itself no longer has a sting. Do you see that? There is more than a victory. And it's not just that he's forgiven us. He gives us a victory through Christ Jesus. We don't have to be perfect. We have to be forgiven. But then it says Jesus tells us in other places of Scripture that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just; He will forgive us our sins, but he'll do one better. He'll start to cleanse us of all, all unrighteousness. That we won't have to carry around the sin in our bodies anymore. That we won't have to live these lives of sin anymore. That repentance leads to a whole different kind of life. A better life. Where God cleans us from the inside out, transforms us. And because of that, I don't think we just have hope for death. We have hope for life. It's an amazing thing. So heaven takes this thing out of death. Okay, I die. I go to heaven. I get a house, not a tent. And so I have this, and I know this, this hope, which is so powerful, isn't it for us as Christians? A lot of us have grown up with this. There are a lot of people who have no idea what this is. And you go to a non-believer's funeral, and you will see true despair. We have hope. So let's use this as an opportunity to share the truth and the hope that we have in Christ. So how do we face death with unshakable faith? Well, the first one is we have to turn immediately to Jesus. And the best we can do that help each other do that. Then we have to give ourselves permission to mourn. As we are with Christ, recognize we've got to go through this process of it. Then we have to receive support from others. Not isolate, but around other believers and then use that opportunity to share Jesus. That's how we face death with unshakable faith. And you know what's kind of cool is that Christians have been doing this for millennia. And there's this really cool uh, Justin Martyr, who was aptly named because he became a martyr. He said that, the blood, that the, seed, uh, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church, no matter how badly Christians, when they died, right, seems that wherever the persecution was the worst, the church tends to grow up there. <laughs> they just can't stop it. Well, part of that's because Christians, we don't die without hope, and we don't fear death, and so we can live boldly and with purpose. All right so how do you apply this to your life right, today, well there are some things that we can do, and so if you take out your connection card, I've got some next steps for you to take as we uh, begin to apply this, I, you know, um, some of you may be grieving, some of you may be facing uh, difficult things in your life, or or um, some of you I think just need to be taking steps to prepare ourselves for when death comes, or how do we help one another so I've got some things that might help you to do so on the back of your connection card, if you pull that out If you look there in the back, some next steps I'm going to challenge you to. The first one is to memorize 1 Thessalonians 4.14. That is really the root, the foundation, because there's going to come a time when somebody you love is going to pass. And there's going to come a time in your life when you are going to get ready to pass. And I want you to have this so tattooed onto your heart that it is indelible, right? It is there. And you can go back to it so you don't have to face the fear. And you can remember the hope that we have in Christ. The second thing you want to do is you might want to read 1 Corinthians 15. There's another wonderful passage that talks about death. What's going to happen next? So it can demystify a lot of this for you if you want to read that. Another one you might want to do is thank God for life. One of the best things that we can do is recognize that we live forever. Jesus said that we have eternal life, doesn't he? So death, it's a transition. Right? It's not an end. And so I think that's pretty cool. So I think part of what we do is say, God, I'm already living the kingdom life now. God, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for for giving me opportunity, right? Every day, maybe there's some area that you are able to thank God for. But to say, start your day by saying, God, thank you for this life that you have given me. Because my death has, has a promise, I want to live this life with purpose. Show me how to do that. Maybe that's what you want to do this week. Or how about this? Maybe you need to join a life group. Nothing prepares you for death better than being living with Christ in community. And so if you are not in a life group, I encourage you to go and to get involved with one. We have several of them that are there after the service. You can see some of the groups that are there, kind of when they meet or whatever. If you're interested in that group, put your name down there. If there are too many people sign up, that's okay. We will can start more groups. If none of those dates or times work for you, that's fine. Just let me know, and we'll make sure that we get you into a group. There's another one that, start, that may be starting... Uh, Not in the evening, but kind of midday uh, for some people, too. So um, I don't have that on the table, but you can mark that down. So if you're interested in a life group, join a life group. Make sure you check that. And then check out one of our tables, talk to some of those members that are in there, and uh, make sure I have your contact information because we want to make sure that we get you connected this week. All right, so with that, um, if you have a prayer request, write it down. We do pray for you, so we'll be praying for you this week. And uh, here in a second, we'll take our offering. With our tithes and offerings, please take this connection card, put it in the basket as it's passed to you. All right, let's pray for these, and then uh, we'll have the worship band close us with some worship. Father God, thank you for your life. Thank you that you are a living God and that you are the God of the living, not the dead. I thank you that we see so many examples in Scripture of of the saints who have passed before who are still very much alive. We thank you for the promise that we have, that that the best is yet to come, that we get to move from these tents into a heavenly home. Father, thank you for giving us that. We didn't deserve it. Lord, today if there's any here that are separated from you, I pray that you would help them. And taking that steps of those steps of faith, believing that that, they, that you are Lord and Savior that they could be saved by your grace through faith in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior and Father, we pray that you would bring salvation to this valley, that those that live in this community, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, and our family members that you would prepare their hearts to receive the great news of who Jesus is and what he has done, that they could receive this hope so they can Look forward to that promise, and they can live their life with purpose. But, Father, help us to do those things as well. Help us to keep these commitments that we have made in a way that honors you. And please take these tithes and offerings as well. Build your church and your kingdom for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.